And ladies and gentlemen, we're back at it again with the Zone 32 podcast, the only All 32 podcast, courtesy of Neutral Zone Infraction. Follow us on Twitter at NZI Properties and online at NeutralZoneInfraction.com. It's episode nine. Max, Grant, and Jake back at it again. Fellas, say what's up. Hey. (laughs) So we've had a very, very long layover. We've got a lot of stuff to cover. So we're going to go backwards a little bit before we go forwards. I the less said about the Steelers game, the better. Uh, but looking back at week twelve, that was an ugly bowling shoe ugly game. The Ravens should have won. We're gonna we're gonna move on from that and skip to week thirteen. A special Tuesday night matchup against the Dallas Cowboys. It was a good bounce back game for our boys. Guys, what are, what are your thoughts? You guys can just rip off of each other on the uh, the big win that we picked up against the Cowboys on national TV. I mean, I don't think it was a big win, but I think it was a win that needed to happen. I mean, the Cowboys are pretty bad, let's be honest. Um, but, you know, the way that Ravens can kind of play down to the competition a little bit, I mean, you think about it, I mean, we could have easily lost that game. I mean, I don't know. Look at the Patriots. Patriots worked us, and they looked like dog shit the other night. That's the truth, though. It was nece- it was a necessary win. They it was kind of like a lot of the wins they've gotten earlier in the year. They look like they can be better. They did some things to shoot themselves in the foot, but they still wound up beating the hell out of an inferior opponent. So they did what they needed to do. Yes, we did run the ball well. Absolutely. And the Cowboys are historically bad at stopping the run. So hey, it worked out. LeRon McClain, baby. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, and I mean, I think that was a game too that like really got almost like a confidence booster for like, you know, like Ben Powers. Ben Powers had a hell of a game. And like, you know, McCarty looked good at center. And, you know, I mean, a lot of those guys, yeah, it was what was an inferior, you know, run defense. But that's the type of game where, you know, we're going into, a, a, you know, the game on Monday against the Browns that they have a, a really solid front seven and a great run defense. You know, that's a game that has them with a little bit more like of a little pizzazz. They got a little hop in their stuff. They're walking on their toes right now. That's the truth. Yeah, they. this is a definite – this is needed to stop the three-game skid and everything, get a little bit of confidence heading into Cleveland on Monday. Let's go. Let's punch them in the mouth. Now, real, real quick about that first half, we were talking a little bit after the game about this. It's kind of funny how um, – we were so dominant on the ground and yet we didn't really notice as one of those things you take for granted. And that's kind of why I feel offensive coordinators are a little egotistical because the run game is never flashy. Even, even with the big chunk plays, like it's not like the passing game where you get a big completion, you get a sense that oh we're approaching a 200, 300 yard passing game. I mean, we, we had well over 150 yards in the first half and A lot of those came on four big runs, three over 30 yards, Um, one from Lamar, one from Gus, and one from, I believe, J.K. had one as well. And it was was complete domination just on that front, the fact that you almost went the length of a football field on three, three or four core plays. And it makes you wonder, how much longer is this going to last with Greg Roman? Guys, what do you you think? That's a good question. To piggyback off of your point of, Running games not looking particularly flashy. Go back to the Super Bowl where the Patriots beat the Falcons. You have a 28 to 3 lead. One of your running backs go down, but you still have Devontae Freeman and you don't try to pound the rock to beat the Patriots into oblivion and just milk out the rest of the game. 
Instead, Kyle Shanahan wanted some flash point, wanted to, some style points, so they yep. tried slinging it a little more. And what happened? You wound up blowing a twenty-eight to three lead. And hell, oh, look what happened in this la- in the last Super Bowl, blowing a twenty to ten lead. Just again, yep. offensive coordinators want to make them want themselves to look like the smartest cats in the room, and outsmart every kind of defense by doing these different things, doing these cute things, and making themselves look like gurus and geniuses which open to head coaching opportunities. So you're absolutely right about that. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, on that point too, I mean, wasn't uh Devonte Freeman in that Super Bowl? Wasn't he averaging like six and a half, seven yards of carry or something? Yeah, and, up to that point? That's why I want to bring up. He, he had a great game, but for whatever reason, Kyle Shanahan, then the offensive coordinator of the Falcons just wanted to get cute with it. And he decided to have Matt Ryan throw and that turned out disastrous. And guys, it, Grant, you and I had talked about this a couple weeks back. It's almost like the Kyle Shanahan special. He just, you know, Kyle Shanahan and blown leads name a better combination. But he's also one of the smartest offensive minds in the game today, which makes you wonder. It's like it's almost like maybe it's an ego thing. Like he's he knows he's so intelligent and he knows that he's so good at what he does that he almost doesn't. You know, it, it's like a it's like a narcissist type of narcissism almost. And Jake, you had mentioned this um, point in particular one time. I don't remember if it was one of your fantasy uh, posts, but it was something about how Kyle just wants to to come out of his dad Mike's shadow and just be known as a better offensive coordinator. And it's, it's almost silly. I mean, he's, he's the head guy in San Francisco. He's got the head coaching job. He took his team to Super Bowl so soon in his tenure. And yet, you know, what does he have to prove other than a couple of Super Bowl rings? I mean, the more he, he gets cute with it, guys, he's not going to win a ring before all said and done. Could you imagine, though, like I, I was thinking about the other day, I mean, I know it's, you know, he's a head coach and everything, but could you imagine him as an OC with Lamar, the three running backs, and uh, Mark Andrews? I have a counterpoint, and Jake, I want to see if you agree with me on this one. I don't know if Shanahan would be the right fit for this kind of offense with the talent here, and here, and here's why. I don't know – that Kyle Shanahan knows what to do with a mobile quarterback because you got Jimmy Garoppolo, who's fairly athletic in his own right, but he wants Garoppolo to be a traditional pocket passer. And with the personnel that we have with receivers who are more attuned to blocking than catching the ball, <clears throat> Marquise, um, <laughs> I, I don't know if he would do that much better than Roman. I mean, Jake, yeah. what do you think? Well, I'm not going to doubt Kyle Shanahan because he is an offensive genius. I mean, his track record going from Houston to Washington to Atlanta yeah. through Cleveland and having in the rushing attack, they had the one season he was in. I'm not going to doubt him. All things considered, you make a valid point, And here begs the question. If you're, if you would be into Kyle Shanahan as your offensive coordinator, you might be into Kerry Kubiak because it's the same exact system. And Kyle learned under Gary who learned yeah. under, his father, Mike, that and being said, too. he but. had a mobile quarterback in Washington. They didn't want RG three though. They wanted Kirk cousins. So it wound up being telling where Kirk cousins eventually took over. And eventually, and even that be said, there was the rumor that Kyle wanted Kirk cousins in San Francisco before they made the Garoppolo deal. So, yeah. I mean, you make a valid point in that maybe Lamar Jackson isn't the right quarterback for that kind of scheme, but would I doubt it? No, not at all. Yeah, I just think with Lamar, he's kind of a chameleon, though. I mean, people, he's he's not. 
I don't think he's nearly as bad as a pocket passer as people kind of put, like think he is. But the thing that like kind of stands out to me with the Shanahan's is the whole zone concept. You know, they, they're masterminds of the zone concept, and you throw in that zone read. You know, not to mention the strengths of our skill players are are West Coast based. Um, I just think he's you know head and shoulders above Roman as an offensive mind. But it would be you know it's hard to tell with Lamar at this point. I mean. No, I think you guys, or Jake in particular, bring up a good point about Kubiak. I think, although I argue that the game has passed Kubiak by, I think philosophically that type of offense would be great for Lamar and the players we have because a lot of the zone blocking relies mostly on having agile, versatile offensive linemen, usually guys who are undersized, particularly the guards, because the idea is that they are able to bend and snap at the point of attack on a whim that they can, as soon as they they make contact in the trenches, they can just as easily let someone get by to to all of a sudden open up a lane downfield. And more to the point, they can they can stay downfield with their runner, whether it's a quarterback or a running back. And you don't have a lot of offensive lines, especially in a power run scheme. You don't have a lot of those 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 small, quick guys. Everyone's emphasizing size and physicality again. Um, and while that worked back in the day, I mean, with these athletic quarterbacks, you need smaller guys who still can bend and get lower and, and can do what they need to do to buy time. So I, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, and, and back to the running game stuff, too. I mean, there's no reason that J.K. shouldn't get 20 touches a game from here on out. No question. He's the most he's the most explosive of all the runners. Gus is a hammer. Mark is good in short or yardage schemes yeah. or situations rather. But JK is the, he's the little dynamo in the backfield. He's not a jitterbug or anything like that, where he's going to beat you with quickness, but he is a one cut and go kind of runner that could take it to the house. Well, his he vision is just stupid. His vision is just unbelievable. And I like how they, I mean, they're, they're starting to kind of, they know their niches. Mark Ingram is more of like the zone outside runner JK is the pretty much do it all. Like as far as, you know, he hits the holes hard. He's quick, decisive, good vision, and he catches the ball in the backfield. And then you got Gus who on those zone dives, you can't stop Gus on those zone dives. I don't understand why when the game's tight or we're like, you know, trying to run clock or anything, that is the only play I would run. They could put nine, ten in the box, and we're still getting four or five a pop on that play. And yep. I, I think I think you you guys are bringing up a good point here about the running back rotation. Um, a lot of folks on Twitter are talking, and we certainly have talked about it after the last game. It looks like we finally found a good um, a, a good distribution of snaps among the three, not including Lamar, but we're talking Gus, J.K., and Mark. You start with Gus because he can come in cold no matter what, and he'll still hammer and get at least four yards per carry. You've got J.K. who can go downhill or go to the outside. He's versatile on second and third down. Then late in the game, you've got Mark who's coming in fresh and he can hammer the ball home the way that Gus had previously done last season in a, in a reversal of roles. So I guess I asked the both of you guys and just, you know, riff and interject. Um, how likely do you think it is that Roman's going to take this script and run with it the rest of the year? No pun intended. I think that's the way to do it. I'll tell you that um, with Roman, I mean, he's we've been talking in our respective chats and everything that we need to keep running the ball. And I think the discrepancy between the last game to this 
I think what do we have like 40 runs called compared to, to 17 pass attempts from a lot from Lamar, something along those lines. I mean, that is the way to do it. Not even, it's not even necessarily a knock on Lamar, but when you're running the ball, you're shortening the game and you're controlling the clock. And the more you do that, the more you pound against those defensive linemen, the more they'll wear down. That's the Tennessee formula with Derrick Henry. But I mean, I think that would be the right call. I was, I'll say that just, I mean, he's, he's running with the hot hand or whatever, but again, I think it's JK and Gus. Gus is the hammer. JK is the lightning out the backfield comparatively. I mean, this game on Monday is going to come down to, I mean, first down is literally going to be the biggest down on every single drive because I'm getting sick of this first down run every single time. Or, you know, it's just like we're, we're, we're not going to be able to run the rock like that on Monday. So we're going to have to get those chunk plays on first down, you know, pick up those four or five, six-yard plays, setting up, you know, the second, third, you know, second and three and four and five. Because I think I just have a feeling that this game is not going to be a game where we run. I mean, I'd be surprised if we break 120 as a, as a unit. But, I mean, the Browns are just, you know, they're playing with a lot of confidence right now, and they're a very, very tough front. And the Miles Garrett's back from all that crap. And um, I, I'm just – I'm interested to see what happens. I don't want to see the committee. I want to see Gus get his shot and and see where, where we go from there because it's going to be a tough game. And, and you can't do the – you get a play, you get two plays, you get a play because that's gonna you don't get rhythm. It just fucks up rhythm. So you don't like, you know, it, they have to set themselves up because this is an absolute must-win game. So we're we're transitioning into this uh, this week fourteen matchup on Monday Night Football against the Browns, and their secondary is banged up. I mean, they're not expected to have Denzel Ward. Uh, their their pass defense is nowhere near as good as it was last season, and they've been. Um, hurting in that department with Greedy Williams having missed time, with Ronnie Harrison still getting adjusted. I mean, they don't really have an established safety duo prowling in that that defensive backfield. Um, The only strength that they have is that defensive front. But, you know, and granted, it's like you're saying, we're not going to get the yards on the ground that we did last time. But do you still think there's a chance at breaking at that defensive front, chipping away? Depends. I mean, depends how we set up the pass. I think because uh, they're going to start with nine in the box. Period. I mean, they're not going to that that bullshit empty set on third down's got to stop too. Because a team like them, and you mentioned Ronnie Harrison, and like I think that he's a uh, he he's one of those those defenders for a team that we play that gives our offense problems. He just play he plays he plays like an Alabama defender. You know, he plays fast and he plays physical and those type of players have give us problems. So it really depends, you know, with the tight end situation and stuff. But I mean, you're right. Secondary's banged up. Um, so, I mean, we're going to have to throw it to open the run. I think if we can establish even remotely somewhat of a passing game, I think that that, you know, the running numbers, I was talking about the 120. I think that, you know, drastically goes up, but if they can just sit there with eight, nine in the box every single play, we're going to have a long night because our defense cannot play like they did last week either. So, you know, we're always talking, we're talking about the offense right now. That was an absolute horrible showing by our defense against the Cowboys. The Cowboys were led by Andy Dalton. Yeah. The receivers are special, but Zeke is Zeke. You know, he didn't scare me at all with, you know, the, with the Monstars back, but at, that defense looked atrocious. I mean, the, se- the secondary was bad. They were giving up. I mean, I get the cushion thing, 
But at the same time, they did that all game. I mean, Gallup and C.D. Lamb were torching our secondary. There was a few times where they were running butt naked down the field, but Andy Dalton didn't even see them. So, I mean, that that can't happen this week because when you get a guy like Baker that, you know, he's just, you know, walking with his nuts in a wheelbarrow right now. But I don't think he's that great. But you still also – he could just rip off, a, you know, an insane game. So defense definitely has to step up this game too. So, Jake, I want to put you on the spot while we're talking defense. What do you think is wrong with this secondary aside from having lost Jimmy Smith? I mean, you would think that their problems with communication would have been solved by now, but what's going on from what you've seen? Man, I wish I could point something pointed out. But a notable thing, and what's-his-face, Damashek used to do this on his podcast where he put out the Jenga theory where if a team loses a certain player – outside of the quarterback, because obviously if anyone loses their starting quarterback, their season's over. But the one irreplaceable player you can't lose, who's if, so your team doesn't fall apart. Funny enough for the Ravens over the years, it's been Jimmy Smith. When he's been healthy, even in spite of other injuries, the defense has been either great or at least respectable. When he's been down, they've been tore up. Like think about 2016 after he goes down, and pops his Achilles against, oh no, that was 2017 when he popped the Achilles. But 2016 with the Liz Frank injury, the last four games of the year against the Pats, the Steelers, the Eagles, that defense didn't look good. And they um, they should have lost all three, actually they should have lost four straight to close out the year. But instead they pulled it out against Philly. Then you go back to 2017 when he pops his Achilles against the Lions, the defense completely falls apart. Then you go back to I mean, last last year, he was healthy for most of it, which is why they were still elite and you still couldn't throw the ball against him. But part of it is the pass rush not getting there and quarterbacks getting rid of the ball quicker with you playing off cover with you playing off coverage. If you're going to blitz, you run the you run the risk of getting beat over the top if you press at the line. But I mean, that being said, you have big physical corners and you set up your secondary that way for a reason. You want quarterbacks to be able to hold the ball to hold the ball against you, so your your dogs up front can go get them. And they haven't been doing that. And I was surprised that they did, they had a lack of success against the against the Cowboys' offensive line last week. Because I mean, there's no Tyron Smith, Travis Frederick retired. I can't remember if La, I don't think Lyle Collins played last week, if I remember right. Zach no, Martin they, was they were out. down to their they were down to their like third and fourth. That's what I'm saying. Like the fact that we couldn't even get pressure is embarrassing. They were down to like their third and fourth line. Like that is awful. And all day Dalton, Andy Dalton had to throw. He barely got touched. There's the one sack from Jihad Ward later. Yeah, that I was mean, fourth quarter though, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And hell, keep in mind the 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 play to end the second half. CD yeah. Lamb should have caught that touchdown. They oh, sent hurt. one. They sent yeah. one defender to go over hunt and rush Andy Dalton. You and don't do that. A, you got to send at least three. And it was Patrick Green. It wasn't even a D lineman. They sent exactly. the linebacker. <laughs> like, what are you doing? But and, and I'm glad you mentioned the Jimmy Smith thing, too, because I agree. I mean, I've been a Jimmy Smith stand since we drafted him. I loved him coming out of Colorado. But, like, his thing is, is, like, you know, it's the injury stuff. But it is unbelievable how different the defense how different the defense plays when he's not on the field. I'd be interested to look this year because he's missed what two games this year, including last week. Yes, I'm yeah, that. two. So I want to see what he did, what what our defense did the other game because I'm pretty sure that was the Eagles game when they torched us. It's, it's in the second half with their yardage because didn't he leave that game early or something? Was it the yes. Eagles? 
So look at those two games between the Eagles and Cowboys and what they did to our secondary without him. But that just shows you the versatility that he has in Wink's defense because this whole new safety thing that they did this year, I like to pat myself on the back because I got fried for it the past three, four years because I've been saying that moving him to the safety position not only elevates the defense, but it reduces his injuries because he's not having those quick turns. He's not having the stop and starts that he would as a cornerback, but he also has the long body, the ball skills, the the range. He has the smarts. Like he can cover the slot, tight ends, all that stuff. He's made to be a free safety, and this is the perfect point in the career to do that. If you look at a lot of the schemes when he's in the defense this year, they put him as almost like a dime linebacker position situation a lot, and they also walk him down a lot. So you don't know with his versatility, he can do that. He can cover a number one on the outside. He can play, you know, middle linebacker in a, in, in a nickel situation if they want him to. The thing, like the thing with him is, is that's that's like that's what I think we're missing because when you don't have that versatility with somebody like him, it becomes a plug and play, and it has to be somebody that has that specific strength for a position, and that he elevates everybody else. This is true. And to point out your point, Grant, last year, the experiment with Brandon Carr kind of working as a dime backer and a roaming safety. I mean, that was perfect for him at his phase of the career of his, his career. Football IQ, because both of them have strong football IQ. It's it's it, that's crazy. It's I call it the Charles Woodson effect or rather experiment, because although this is not a new concept of football, putting an aging corner at safety Definitely, at least at the very least, from an injury and health standpoint, it extends their career another year or two because you're not having to worry as much about the back pedal and on all these other things that people don't take into account for defensive backs, especially a corner. Your knees and your ankles go much quicker having to consistently back pedal against younger and younger guys every single year. And that wear and tear adds up. And, and that's why we see corners have such a short lifespan in the NFL. I mean, you look at the average career of a corner, they they flame out almost as quickly as running backs do. And yet corners don't invite the same amount of contact. It, if anything, it is non-contact, um, soft tissue and ligament issues that ends their career. Um, I mean, just you, I, I would love to do the research in the offseason. That's probably something we could do as a group is just take a look at the average career of an NFL cornerback. Well, that too, and it's a high-value position. It's a dog-eat-dog position. Like, there's a few positions on the field that I call dog-eat-dog positions, and a cornerback's one of them because you're easily replaced and everybody sees you fuck up. So, like, when you're – when you're like, it's not – you know, everybody says to me, it's safety. Everybody sees you miss a tackle on open field and those types of things. But, the, but with, you know, being a cornerback, you, you're, you know, you're on everybody's – hated list if you get a guy that rips off eight catches for 120 on you and two touchdowns or you know like you know you're you're magnified i mean when we look at the ravens twitter chats and all that stuff and everybody's like you know who's who's your least favorite raven you hear sharice Wright, frank walker you know you know all these guys they're all corners <laughs> you hear all corners because that's what they see those nickel dime type corners and it's a, it's a tough position and i know that i think marlon or somebody was talking about the other day on twitter that it's the toughest position of football it is i mean quarterback could be argued because of everything you know and you and everything pretty much goes on you and you have to know every single type of offense defense break everything down in the middle of a play but cornerback you're facing guys that are running between 42s and 45s 
they're big physical, they're bigger than you, you know, they're stronger, faster. They know what they're doing. You don't. So like the, the ability that corners have and like the, the skill sets, you know, the athleticism is crazy. And I think that that has a lot to do with it because it's such a magnified position. Exactly. And to, to, before we continue talking about this Browns game, where there's always that old joke about how corners are receivers who can't catch. And that, that has a little bit of truth to it in the sense that when you're playing corner, you have to understand the receiver position. You have to mirror your man almost step for step, but in reverse. So again, you, yeah. you think about how tough it is to do everything literally backwards. It's no wonder that these corners are drawing pass interference penalties on a more regular basis with, with uh, increased emphasis on the passing game. And it's no wonder that corners get burnt so often because, again, your vision is the mirror opposite of what receivers are seeing. And you are doing everything that they're doing but backwards. So, yeah. Um, I'd like to see something like, I'd like to see like a, a you know, some information put together on you know, the successful corners throughout the NFL that have a quarterback background, like whether it be college or high school or something where they played quarterback at this as a primary position, but ended up playing corner, you know, due to athleticism or anything. I'd like to see the success rate of those corners that have a quarterback background just because of understanding formations a little bit better and down and distance situations and those types of things that it's pretty much beating your head at that position. I'll help Troy Brown. He was Bill Belichick's one of his favorite players because he could literally play every position on the field because he had limited experience as a quarterback in high school and I believe college. He played receiver. He played running back. He played at he every got a spot. couple picks in the NFL, didn't he? Because yeah, yeah, I really put him in at the slot. They had no choice but to use him as a nickel back at one point because they had so many injuries in the secondary. So yeah, Troy Brown, I mean, that's a great example right there. And I know there are countless others but not as well known. But so moving moving on to the Monday night game. Now the 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 honest truth here is I am a bit concerned because the Browns are much more dangerous at this point of the season than they ever have in the past two decades been. Um, they are legit. I will say that up front in the games that I've watched, even against lesser competition, because again, you can't pick who you play. They've done what good teams do and dominated bad teams every other game. Uh, there's been some games where they have looked like complete dog shit on offense, but the defense has stepped up or vice versa. But I will give credit where credit is due. Cleveland is second in the AFC North for a reason, and it's not just because the Ravens have stumbled down the stretch. So, guys, again, talk amongst yourselves. Go back and forth. What do you think our chances are with this game? I mean, I'll, get, I'll, I'll throw it up in the air. You guys, uh, whoever wants to start, go right ahead. I still like our chances. I'm not going to lie. Cleveland has beaten the Titans. They've beaten some good teams like the Colts this year. I mean, those are the only two teams I can think of that they've beaten with a winning record this season. They have yet to beat Pittsburgh, and the last time they played Pittsburgh, they got molly whopped 38-7. And you can go back to week one where we molly whopped 38-10. Yeah, it's a, maybe it's a different Browns team that's more confident at this point of the season. But that being said, they still have a lot to prove as an organization, as a team. They've gotten to this point year after year after year where they might get kind of close to actually breaking through. And this year they actually are because they're actually posting up a winning record for the first time in 12 or 13 years. But they still need to prove they can beat the bullies of the division because historically they haven't been able to beat 
Pittsburgh or Baltimore in critical games, and they ha- don't have experience in critical games. So I still like our chances. Their secondary is beat up. The key is you can't let Miles Garrett beat you. Do whatever you need to do. What like going back to 2017 when they played the Raiders and the Raiders had Khalil Mack to deal with. They did not let Khalil Mack beat them. They would he get double teamed. He'd even get triple teamed at times. But he's the one player on that defensive line you can't let beat you. They have some good other players still, like Sheldon Richardson and Olivier Vernon's all right, and Larry Ogunjobi. But you can't let Miles Garrett beat you because if he gets going, that's a wrap. And that's the key. What we were talking about earlier, avoiding second and long and third and long. Don't give that defensive line a reason to pin their ears back and just play you dishonestly and just go hunt the quarterback because they'll wreck your game plan. So even that being said, I still like our chances. They're going to want to run the ball just like we're going to want to run the ball. So you're going to have to commit more bodies to the box. And I like our DBs against their receivers. You have Jarvis Landry to deal with. Put Marlon on him. It's okay. It's as simple as that. So, Grant, I, I want you to to take a look at their defense. So we, we talked about our running game not being able to get, you know, much against this defense, most likely not. And that's going to be predicated on the passing game. But I, I am a little concerned about their one-two punch of Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. I'm not so concerned about Baker and watch me eat my words on Monday, but it, it's the running game. I am, in a way, shocked that the wear and tear has not gotten to them at this point with how dependent they'd been on their backs. And especially with our defensive line, you know, even if we get Clayus Campbell back, I mean, we are a little vulnerable there. Grant, what do you, how do you think we're going to fare stopping the run in this case? Uh, I mean, with, you know, the defensive lineback, you know, the Monstars back, you know, it's interesting to see because, I mean, they were brought in for the specific reason. They were there week one, but it was week one. You know, Nick Chubb had a good game week one. Um, he's going to have a good game, period. He's He reminds me of like a Jamal Lewis type. He's just – he can take that wear and tear. I know he has a little bit of the injury history through college, but, you know, that's just – that happens with freak athletes. And the dude is on a tear right now. Um, we have to tackle better outside the bo- or outside the tackles. So, you know, he that's what he wants to do. He wants to get outside the tackles and hit that sideline. Um, and he's very good at it. Our, our plus is, is that we have corners that will come up and make a play. Um, not a lot of teams have that, and you need that with a type of running back like him. Uh, Kareem Hunt's dangerous in the passing game. You know, you talked about Landry. You know, he's a solid bet receiver, runs phenomenal routes. Um, Higgins has been coming on big lately, and, and Baker really likes him a lot. So I think that's going to be something, you know, a guy to keep an eye on. Um, same thing with Donovan, uh, Donovan Peoples-Jones. You know, he was one of my favorite mid-round targets in the draft. I really liked him out of Washington. I think he would have been a top probably sec- – he would have probably been a first or, sec- or second or third rounder if um, he didn't have – you know, if he had better quarterback play in college. You know, Shea Patterson was bad. Um, but, you know, I, I think that we do have to stop the run because – you know, when they're running like that, that's what opens up that passing game for Baker. You know, it's kind of, you know, uh, vice versa from what we're trying to do. Um, but I think we can stop the run. Um, Patrick Queen's going to have to have a really big game. Um, this is going to be a game for him. Uh, you know, he's already had his coming out parties and all that. You know, he's getting the, def- you know, defensive rookie of the year conversations. You know, people saying, you know, he's potentially top five, top 10 right now. You know, he's retweeting the stuff. You know, this is a game where he can make a statement. Like this is a game that can, you know, elevate that, those talks a little bit. And also, you know, I think he's, 
I think he's kind of getting a little bit in the zone. You know, he's getting more comfortable in the defense. Um, they're going to be out for blood, though. You know, we embarrass them, and they're hot right now. They're at home, and, you know, the fans can't be there. But, you know, I think it's 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 going to be a tough game both sides of the ball. Um, hopefully we can get a solid game plan going. Um, but we are going to have to slow down Nick Chubb. I don't think we stop him, but I think we, we can slow him down. Now we've got one more topic, guys, that we can cover. And this is something we didn't really discuss, but I think we should touch on it very lightly. So the three of us, we are collectively under the assumption that the Ravens can run the table and get at least that final wild card spot, if not Absolutely. the sixth seed. Absolutely. But the bigger question that we're going to ask, cart before the horse, regardless of what happens Monday, if the Ravens were to make it to the postseason dance, do you think that we win – a playoff game. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to predicate this by saying it will – I am 99% certain it's going to be a road game. There's no way because we're not going to win the division. We can't mathematically. But more to the point, that first road that, – that first playoff win for Lamar, does it happen this season or next? I'll throw it up for grabs now for either one of you. I'm torn on it. I'm not going to lie. Going in to this – like going in, I think, is after the Titans loss or after the Patriots loss. Maybe even Pittsburgh. I should know it was after the Titans loss. I kind of told myself, I think this team gets in. I think they get bounced out in the first round, especially with the way they've been playing. They continually beat themselves and do the little things that wind up making a second and five, second and three into a second and eight, second and nine because of a false start, illegal formation. Oh, illegal formation. Like, so, so many other things are even getting called for a whole, even getting called for holding when. Across the league, holding calls are down, but they're getting repetitiously called against Baltimore. I don't know how that works, but God is what it is. But even so, they need to not beat themselves. And until they can do that, Monday would be a great opportunity to show that because if you can figure it out, if you can stop beating yourself, then you can beat 99% of the league and you at least give Kansas City a run for their money. Because, I mean, Think about it. The little things are what cost us against Pittsburgh, Tennessee, and New England. So all things considered, don't do the stupid things that get you who beat that beat yourself. You can't do that against the good teams. You have to play at your best. Even if you get beat because the team's a better team that you're playing against, like Kansas City will be. You can't beat yourself because otherwise those good teams will take advantage and this is a prime this is a prime example to see if you can or not and i will say in terms of favor of maybe lamar winning his first playoff game or maybe even running the table keep in mind if you go back to 2012 that team experienced a lot of adversity had to go had to deal with a lot of just garbage that hindered them losing 3 of the last 4 games not going to count in cincinnati because again they they played with reserves. It was Tyrod Taylor versus whoever the hell Andy Dalton's backup run backup quarterback was in the second half. So we'll we count Pittsburgh, Washington, Denver, and then the Giants. But they came in and kind of stumbled. But that being said, with all that adversity, they are ready to get together. They're ready to just kind of run the table. So I will say this group is battle tested at least. We'll see if they do it. And I'm not so sure they will, but I would definitely like to be wrong. 
I really want to be wrong in this instance. And Monday would be a great eight time to get me to shut the hell up and stop being a pessimist. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I think Monday is personally. I think Monday is a must win. If we win Monday, I think we definitely run the table. Um, if we don't win Monday, we have to run the table even for a chance. Um, I think that the, Lamar does get his first playoff win this year. Um, I think we do get in. You know, this is a resilient bunch. We've all been fans of this team for a pretty long time. If any team that can beat themselves, it's the Baltimore beat themselves. Um, you know, whether it's a, a, a timely penalty at the end of a, a drive where they're going to win a game on third down or a ball that gets bounces off a helmet, flies 20 feet in the air, hits a receiver in the hands, they catch it, run it for 30 yards on third and 15. Like that's, that stuff happens to the Ravens. So those little mistakes can't happen as far as the penalties that you had mentioned. So I'm, I'm 100% on that. If we play that, that type of Ravens football, we're going to lose. If we play disciplined football, we're going to win. Um, I absolutely think we can make the playoffs. I think if we do make the playoffs, there's going to be a lot of confidence that, you know, they're already in the mindset now that, you know, the whole world's against us. NFL hates us. You know, it's us against the world. That type of mentality is dangerous with a team with this much talent. And, you know, barring injuries and those types of things, um, I think that the Ravens are going to be a problem from here on out. Absolutely. 100%. And Jake, you, you had mentioned being a pessimist. What would it take for you to change your mind about this team in the, the final stretch of this season? Beat the hell out of Cleveland. Beat them convincingly. Don't do stupid things to keep the game close. Because when they keep the game close and they don't execute right, then things fall apart. Like, look at Tennessee. He had a two-score lead. Lamar throws that interception, but I can't even put it necessarily on him. He was, that, was just a, that was just a deep shot, and Brian Borders made the play. But, I mean, go back to that third and inches, which should have been a first down probably that Lamar got, but it didn't. And inexplicably, Mark Andrews commits a false start, so you have to make a third and six. You miss the, you miss the throw a little bit. I mean, it was, it was a tough throw and tough catch to make, but you got to make those. And then Tennessee winds up coming back and then winning in overtime. So all things considered, it's the little things that beat you. Pittsburgh with the four turnovers. With the Patriots and all those miss the the muff snaps. Well, not muff snaps. It's the, yeah, bad snaps from Ascura going from a second and five to a second and 20. So it's those things that I think the team needs to do to bring more, bring me confidence in them. Beat the hell out of Cleveland. Or at the very least, don't do dumb penalties. Don't commit dumb penalties. That's right. I, I, I 100% agree. I think. As much as we talked about the Cowboys being a get-right game, I think this Cleveland game in prime time for the nation will be proof of the team having gotten right. If only because, again, this Browns team is not the same team it has been. This is going to be their Super Bowl, essentially, because they need to get over this hurdle of beating Baltimore before they can think about facing off against Pittsburgh in the playoffs and having a legit shot. So. We'll see how that goes on Monday night. I know the three of us are going to be watching. There's other great NFL action on tap for Sunday. So for next time, we'll be back with more thoughts on all of that. Of course, it's been a very Ravens-centric show. But, of course, we had to make up for all that lost time. Uh, also, on a programming note, we've got the potential for more bonus episodes along the way. So be on the lookout for that. Make sure you subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. But, guys, I missed you guys. It's been great coming back and doing this again. We're going to do this more frequently, I promise. In the meantime, 
This has been the Zone 32 podcast, the only all 32 podcast, courtesy of Neutrozone Infraction. Follow us on Twitter at NZI Properties and online at NeutrozoneInfraction.com. I'm Max. He's Grant. He's Jake. And for all of our loyal listeners, again, thank you guys for listening. Have a great rest of your day. See ya! Oh!